Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go. continue our conversation about water into wine so this is our fourth week talking about that so just a quick rundown of what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks so week number one we talked about you talked about you can't put new wine into old wine skins so the old ways of doing things the old the old traditions and things that we hold so near and dear to our heart it dries out on the inside and those old wine skins can't hold the new wine that God has for us because what happens is is it causes it to bust it causes that wineskin to rupture. It causes it to not be able to hold, and it can't be put back together again. So what God wants us to do is wants us to be transformed into a new wineskin so that way we can hold everything that he has to give to us. Week number two, we talked about beholding Jesus leads us to metamorphosis, a.k.a. transformation. So when we behold on Jesus, when we focus our attention on him, that's what leads us to transformation. That's what leads us to metamorphosis and we talked about the butterfly being in the cocoon and it had the same DNA as as it does as a butterfly when it was a caterpillar and it had to go through that process of shedding its skin inside of that tight-knit cocoon to be transformed into the butterfly that we see and the beautiful colors and the things that we that we that attracts us to a butterfly but we don't really care about the caterpillar because caterpillar ain't cute caterpillar kind of ugly Caterpillar just crawl around and do whatever. But once it goes through its process and it goes through, you know that can't be comfortable. You try getting zipped up in a thing and being forced to shed your skin and change. That would not be comfortable. That is not an easy process. And then what? The life cycle of a butterfly is what? Not very long after it transforms into a butterfly. So that's, that's just a lot of work for, you know, but our promise is that when we make that transformation, that it's a lifelong thing, that we are in constant communication with God, and we become more and more like him every single day. And then last week, we talked about the war of inferiority. And this week, we're kind of going to talk a little bit more about that, but in a little bit of a different way. Um, so if I had to title this week, I would title it, When the Enemy Becomes My Enemy. When the enemy becomes my enemy. So I'm going to pray this morning because I haven't done that yet. So let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, God. I thank you for an opportunity to break open your word, God, and to, to speak and to minister your word, God. It's something that I don't take lightly. It's not something that I take for granted, God. I'm humbled and I'm honored to be here this morning, God. And I ask you, Lord, to speak through me this morning. Rid me of myself, God, and speak through me. Speak exactly what needs to be spoken this morning. I thank you for every heart and mind and spirit being open to receive what you have for us this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. <coughs> I'm real excited, just on a side note, before we really get into this, I'm preaching in my Crocs this morning. So I know that's kind of funny, and I, I laugh about it, but I've loved Crocs since I was a kid. And then they were not cool anymore, and I got rid of them all, which was sad. And now they're super expensive, but I found them cheap on sale, and they matched my new shirt. And I'm like, yes, it's a win. Pink shirt and pink Crocs on a Sunday. That's awesome. I'm a nerd, but that's okay. Jesus loves me. He made me that way. He, and then Lindsay did get up and get the boys dressed this morning, and he put all them in red. And I'm like, okay. But my wonderful mother-in-law told me, pink and red go together. And I'm like, well, yes, they do. Yes, they do. So that works. But I was excited. And then DeShadron showed up in her shirt that matches mine. And I was like, yes, we're twinning. I knew I was supposed to wear this shirt today. So I was glad I did. Plus, it's got the cheetah print. And I got my new cheetah print cup. Anyway, I'm just killing time. We're going to start with our base scripture this morning. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. And we are going to have that on the screen for you. I'm going to be reading it out of the Passion Translation. It says, but the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. 
We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glory, glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I'm going to go back. To, can you go back to 16? But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. See, when you look at this part before, it's saying but before they turn to the Lord that there's a veil over their eyes and they can't see. So once we turn our hearts back to the Lord, and that's, that's through salvation, but that also that doesn't just mean asking Jesus to come into your heart because you can be a Christian and live your entire life and still have veils over your eyes to where you can't see what God's saying or see what God's doing. But this says that but the moment one turns to the Lord, so once you have that transfiguration moment, once you go down this path of metamorphosis and trying to figure out, okay, who am I? Number one, but who am I in Christ? Because you can't ever figure out who you are in this world and what your place is until you learn who you are in God, who you are in Christ, what God has called you to do, what he's, at, what he's gifted you to do. And it doesn't, it's not always going to be something as great and glamorous as, which people think standing up in the pulpit and preaching is a great and glamorous thing, but I'm telling you, it's not. And what happens is that God judges us more roughly in court, and that's, bi that's biblical. You'll see that if you look in Revelation. It talks about that at the end of the days, that God judges the teachers and the pastors and the preachers harder because we teach the flock. So trust me, you don't want that responsibility unless you call to it because it ain't an easy life to live because you don't, it's not just about up here. It's about what you do Monday through Saturday. It's about the work you put into it, and it's about what you dive into. Anybody can post scriptures online, and they can act like they're the biggest Christian in the world, but it's a fake and a facade if they're not spending time on their knees behind closed doors praying and seeking after God because that's the only place that the veil is going to be removed from their eyes and they can see. We go on to verse 17, and it says, Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. If you neglect the leading and the honoring of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will never live in true freedom. And I don't just mean acknowledging him as, oh, okay, he's the Holy Spirit and he does things. No, you have to be in constant fellowship and communication with the Holy Spirit or you will never live in a life of true freedom. And I don't mean you have to be like, okay, Holy Spirit. What are, I do that, though, because that's just how I, how I process my communication with the Lord. If I don't talk to the Lord, I... I don't hear him because I'm not focusing my attention on it. So I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do I need to do? And not that I'm a scared little mouse, but I'm like, okay. And I don't have to say it out loud, but sometimes I just have to feel it and think it in my heart. And I, the Lord knows, the, the Holy Spirit knows, and his job is to be our comforter. But his job is to be our teacher, the great illuminator. He illuminates things and he brings things to light in your life that you don't even recognize or know about. You could be like, I don't know how to do this. And you can say, okay, Holy Spirit, I need you to show me. He's the best. He was YouTube before we searched YouTube on how to do stuff. He is the original DIY mastermind showing you exactly how to do everything you need to do because he is God. He is God, and he lives on the inside of us. And he gives us instantaneous downloads to be able to hear from heaven on what we need to do in situations. But you can't see him in your life if you're still choosing to have that veil covering your eyes. Until you have a true heart to turn and say, okay, I'm going to continue after what God says. And I'm going to work after, I'm really going to focus on you, God. What do you have, want for me to do? What do you have for me? How can I be who you've called me to be? What can I do for other people, God? Not for me, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of all of those around me. When we truly seek after God, that's when the veil's lifted. And there is freedom. I don't want to live a life of bondage. I don't want to live a life that I have to have mental torment in my mind. That I have to worry about anything and everything. Worry about where my next meal's going to come from. Or worry about, is it safe to go outside? Worry about, it, am, I, am I secure? In my, no, the Bible says that wherever... The Spirit of the Lord is where the Holy Spirit is, and wherever He is Lord, wherever we put Him first in our life, there is freedom. 
So if you've got a situation that you're struggling with, who is the, who is the main focus of your life? Is it the circumstance, the situation? Is it everything going on or is it the Lord? Is it God? Is it the Holy Spirit? Because that's where you're going to find your freedom. That's where you're going to find your, your liberty. That's where you're going to find your breakthrough. And then 18 says we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our face. So once that veil's removed, then you're able to enter in. See, back before Jesus died on the cross, there was the way that they atoned the sins. They did it one time a year. And they had the, the tabernacle had the very innermost part, which was the Holy of Holies. And not just anybody could go into the Holy of Holies. It was only the high priest. And he had to be blameless, clean, without fault, had no sin in his life, no nothing in his life. He had to go through a cleansing process physically to be able to enter in. And what happened over and over and over again these great men of God that were supposed to go in and sacrifice this perfect spotless lamb on our behalf would go into the presence of God and be struck dead instantly because there was fault on the inside of them. Hidden sin, things that they hadn't, hadn't confronted, that they hadn't gone through atonement for themselves, all because they wanted to keep up this facade and keep up this fake identity of who they are. And that's who was supposed to go in and, and ask God to forgive us of our sins. And so they had to start putting bells on the bottom of their robes so that way when they went in, if they heard the bell stop moving, they had a shepherd's hook and they grabbed them by, it was attached to their ankle or a rope attached to their ankle and they pulled them out because they were dead. Because no unclean thing could enter into the presence of God. But see, when Jesus said, it is finished, and the earthquake came, one of the things that, and this, is, this has been one of my favorite things to ever think about and get a mental image of, is that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the inner and the outer courts was ripped right down the middle. Now, that veil was one piece of fabric previously. It had no rips, it had no seams, it had no holes, it had no nothing. It was one continuous piece of fabric. And the moment that he said it is finished, it ripped from top to bottom which was a symbol and a separation of you don't have to have anybody else go to God on your behalf. God is waiting on you to come with an open arm saying, come to me, I will give you rest. Come to me, I will do whatever you want me to do for you. Come talk to me because he created us to worship him. He created us to have fellowship with him. But because of the standards and the things and the sin of Adam and Eve, he had to put those measures in place because our bodies were not ready to handle his glory. Our physical bodies could not handle being in his presence. But when Jesus said, it is finished, I've sacrificed my sin or myself for their sins, then that equipped us to be able to stand in God's presence and God look at us and say, you are my child and I forgive you. No matter what you do, we tell the boys in their bedtime blessing, do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do? Yes. Do you know I love you no matter what bad things you do? Yes. Who else loves you like that? God, and he does, he loves each and every one of us that way, no matter what good things we do, and no matter how bad we do, because we are going to do bad things, we are going to make mistakes, and we are, are going to fall, we're going to fall flat on our face, it's inevitable, we're humans, that's what we do, we fall flat on our face, but the promise of redemption and the promise of transformation is that when we do fall on our face, that we become transfigured into his very image and we move from glory to glory to glory, which means we learn our lesson and we defeat the, the devil and we f defeat the adversary on that level and we move up to another level and we, and we get ready and we go to war again and we keep going and we keep going and we discover new levels of who God is in our life and what he has to say to us. So the mirror that you look into, it holds power. So I have a little illustration this morning. This is, this is the teacher coming out in me, but that's okay. So we have a mirror, right? So the mirror that you look into in your life holds power over you. Have you ever tried looking in a dirty mirror? How about a mirror that's already, that's old? that's been separated, like it separates from the backing on it, so it's got all those little dark spots, and you're trying to like bob and weave around it just to see what you got. Like, oh, is that something on my face? No, that's just the mirror. Like, it, it's hard. It's hard to look through a mirror. Or a mirror that's too high up, 
and you need to see your whole outfit, but you can only see from like here up, and you're like, how? I can't see what this looks like. I'm just going to roll with it. I guess it's fine. Let's just go. But it's hard. It's hard to see your reflection. But see, every time we look at our life outside, like a, look at ourselves outside of the, the realm of God's word for our life, it's like damaging a mirror a little further. See, every time we look at our life and we say, you know what? I just, I, I don't know about that God thing. I don't, I mean, it's good. I'll go to church on Sundays, but you know, like through the week, like I'm just going to do me. I'm going to do my own thing. You're warping your, your, your view of who you are because you're moving further and further and further away from your mirror. We become less and less of who God creates us to be. We let the opinions of other people change the way that we view ourselves. And do I am super guilty of that. Super guilty of that. That's actually one reason why I haven't preached in a really long time. Just being completely transparent. About a year ago, I had somebody tell me that I was going to hell because I was a woman preacher and I believed in speaking in tongues. And I have let that bother me for a year to the point that I let it stifle me. I let it hinder me. All because, not because I thought what they said was true, because I don't. I don't think that's true at all. I think that's the farthest thing from the truth. But I would hear that in my head every single time. Lindsay would say, hey, you want to speak? I'm like, nope, I'm good. Thank you. Because I didn't want to cause strife. I didn't want to cause tension. I didn't want to cause cause confrontation. And I thought, well, let me just, I'll just, I got, a, I got a lot I'm going through mentally. I got to work through this in my own way. So let me, let me, I, no, it's okay. And I never really come out and told him that until like last night. But it was something I was dealing with on the inside. So he would just be like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. You, just, you know, whenever you want to speak, you just tell me and you can speak. I'm like, oh, I appreciate that. But I let other people's opinions dictate what I thought about myself. Even though I knew it was wrong, I let that put a wedge in between how I viewed myself as a woman of God. I have been preaching and speaking for as long as I have been alive. I grew up in church just like Lindsay was brought up here in church in a very similar atmosphere. And I have done something for God my entire life. Even when I was running from God in a season when I was in college, I was still the only one that had enough sense to hold it together. And that wasn't because I'm some fabulous person, but it's because of who God is on the inside of me. And the fact that I let, I let that for, for a year torment me is really frustrating, but it is what it is. And my only thing that I can do now is to continue. Now, that doesn't mean I'm up here preach every week, so good Lord, don't expect that out of me. But I'm just saying, like, I'm more open to that right now. And so when he, when this situation came up with his job, he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, you want me to speak? Like, before I even, like, I didn't even want to say that. It just came out. I was like, you want me to speak? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. And I was like, wait a minute. What just happened? What just came out of my mouth? But I've been feeling that pull on my spirit for a while. So, you know, I transitioned the service and I speak up here and do that. And I'm like, I tried to pacify myself and say that was okay, but God says otherwise. And I've been feeling that drawing back to, hey, no, I have a call on your life. I have something for you to say. So I want you to say it. I'm going to need you to get up there and say it because there's only one Kelsey Melton. There might be others in the world, but there's only one me who can get up here on a Sunday morning and rock her pink Crocs and preach the word, right? There's only one me, and that's, that's the way God intended it to be. And how selfish of me to let my opinion or let my situation dictate what I let God do through me. Because I let it skew my perspective of really what God says about me and what he has for me. So it's like this mirror. I'm going to lay this microphone down for a second. And I'm going to put it in this bag. And I tried this out last night, so I know it works. Now, I have this giant handheld mirror in a Ziploc, gallon size Ziploc bag, right? 
Now, I can still see, as I'm sure you can still see yourself in that mirror, but the problem is, is it's a little fuzzy, right? So it's just one more level of, okay, I'm struggling to really see a clear picture. So this is like us looking at how society tells us that we have to view our past. So because you have made a mistake that you're not qualified to do anything for God, or because you've made a mistake, you're not going to go any further in your life than where you're at right now. Because you didn't go all the way through college, that you're not going to ever have a good job. Because other people have made decisions on your behalf, you're not ever going to get out of the situation that you're in. When just because, just because you have chosen to, to do these different things, you're not ever going to amount to anything. We let society tell us that. Whether we hear it clearly or plainly or not, we let other people dictate what we can and cannot do with our lives instead of finding out what God says about us on the inside and having that strong, firm foundation. We let society tell us that we're not the right skin color. We let society tell us that our body shape is too different, that we don't fit the perfect image, we don't fit the perfect mold, that we have too much acne on our face, that we don't have enough hair on our head, that we have too much hair on our head. Our hair is not the right color. Oh, you wear glasses? Well, you need to have contacts. Oh, you wear contacts? Well, why don't you keep it real and wear glasses? See, there's nothing that we could ever do to satisfy the status quo of what the world has to say about us. Oh, you're too old. You're too old. Your time in the kingdom of God has passed. You're a seasoned saint now. That means you don't get to do anything. Pfft, that's a lie. Oh, you're too young. You're just a baby. You don't know nothing. You can't do nothing for God. Pfft, that's a lie too. Oh, you're a woman. You're a woman. The only thing you can do is you can teach the children and you can maybe, maybe talk a little bit and you can sing on the worship team. That's all you can do. Pfft, that's a lie because first of all, first of all, when Jesus first started coming out and telling and showing himself, he revealed himself to a woman at the well. And he told her everything about herself and changed her life in that one moment. Now, if, if a woman wasn't important to God, he would have shown himself to a man first. Even his disciples hadn't seen that side of him. Actually, the first miracle he did, he did for his mama because they were at a wedding feast and they ran out of wine and she came and said, can you do this? And he's like, woman, mama, you know that my time has not come to reveal who I am, but because it's you, let's do this thing. You can't tell me that God don't care about women and he don't have a place for women. And in a world full of women's rights and women's movements, sometimes the catch side of that is men. Well, you're a man. You can't do nothing either. You can't do nothing right. All the men out here, they just lazy and don't do it. It's a lie, too, because that's not true. That is absolutely not true. But see, society is going to tell you any and everything that is counter what God says about you. The world tells us we're not fit enough. The world tells us we're not pretty enough. The world tells us we're too fat, we're too skinny, you don't have the right shape, you need to work out more, you need to work out less. It just, do you ever get tired of hearing it? And sometimes you don't flat out hear it, but you know what, we see it. And this is exactly what happens. You're not the right person. You don't have the right job. You're too ugly. And so then I'm trying to fit. I'm going to change myself. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to dye my hair. I'm going to cut my hair. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to get a different job. And I'm trying to whoop, look at myself. And all I see is broken pieces. All I can see is in fragmented pieces of who I'm supposed to be and what God says about me. I can't see the real me. I can see the jagged sides of me. I can see the broken areas of me. I can see the areas that 
that I don't, I don't measure up in. I can see all of the things that society wants me to see. And then the world looks at you and they say, oh no, you're broken. You're too broken. Now you can't do anything. God can never use you. Do you not see the mess that your life is in? Do you not see the shambles? What are they going to say about you? You're too, you have too many missing pieces. You have too many places in your life that are missing holes. You've got too many scars. You're a hot mess. You're toxic. Nobody could ever love you. Nobody will ever want you. Look at what you've been through. Look at what, look at what they did to you. You think, you think somebody wants this? If I went to Walmart and went to buy this mirror, I would not. I, I did Walmart pickup, and I thought, okay, please don't bring me a busted mirror. Because, I mean, I'm going to deal with that myself. But if this was a busted mirror, I would have gladly sent that mirror back. I wouldn't have taken that mirror. But we look at our life and we see how broken our view is. And that's when depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation, they walk right in the door. It is an open invitation for the enemy when you choose to focus on this, on the brokenness. When you choose to focus on what the world says about you because you will never measure up. Because like I said, even when you get to the point that you do everything and you try to conform to every single thing that they have and their opinions about you, then they tell you you're too broken and too messed up. They're never going to want you. You're never going to be perfect for them because you weren't created to be. You weren't created to, to be a square peg and try to fit in a round hole. Own your edges. Own your edges. Our scars, our past, things that we've been through are testimonies of God's faithfulness in our life. It's testimonies of the grace and the goodness of God that I was at the point of death or destruction and God brought me back. But that depression and that anxiety is real. And that devil, woo, is an ugly devil. Depression is an ugly beast. And it will creep up out of nowhere and it will engulf your entire life if you let it. If you choose to stay in this state right here. But you know what's beautiful? It's that God wants that. Right here. He wants all of that right there. He wants this broken, this busted up pieces of your life. Every single jagged edge, every single crack, every single crevice, he wants all of that. And he's not going to glue it and put it back together. Because sometimes we're so broken that that's not possible. You cannot put this mirror back together. But what God wants to do is he wants to make it new. He wants to restore your identity. He wants to restore the way that you view yourself. And the only way that you can do that and that he can do that is by letting him take your broken mess and replace it with his image. Colossians 3.10 says this, in the, 10 and 11 says this in the Passion Translation, for you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference or your ethnicity, education, or economic status. They matter nothing, for it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. It don't matter about your past. It don't matter what you've been through. It don't matter what's happened to you. That doesn't change the way that God views you. And the only way that we can keep on, keep on growing is by getting into the word of God. That is what our mirror is supposed to be. We look into the word of God and we find out what God says about us because whatever holds your attention will keep you in tension. Whatever holds your focus will keep your body in a position. So whatever whatever's going on in your life, if there's tension, if there's frustration, where's your focus at? Where's your attention? We are going to have bad days and we're going to have situations that we run upon that we don't know how to handle. And that's okay. We're going to have moments where it hits us like a ton of bricks and we're going to be going to feel so broken and we're going to feel so destruction destructed and 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 frustrated and that's okay. It's okay to feel all the feels. I was reading 
for during the fast, I've been reading a chapter in John a day on top of the scripture of the day or whatever, but that was my challenge just to reacquaint myself with who another version of who Jesus is. And I really recommend to people starting out trying to figure out who Jesus is to read the book of John because John is the disciple that is referred to as the one that Jesus loved. So if you love somebody, your perspective of them is going to be a little different than just anybody else. So when you, if you need a good starting point, read the book of John. But during that, I've been reading about one of the, one of the chapters that talked about when Lazarus died. And they sent word to Jesus and said, he's sick. We need you to come. I know if you pray for him, he'll be made whole. And Jesus knew what was going to happen. This didn't surprise him. So he, he let, he, he finished doing what he was doing. And then he made it to, to where Lazarus lived. And when he got there, he'd been dead four days. But see, Jesus wasn't moved by the timeline of man. He wasn't moved by, we need you to come right now. We need you to do this. He was steadfast and knowing, God's going to get the glory in this. I know what's going to happen. I'll, I'll get there when I get there. And when he got there, Mary come running out and was like, hey, he's dead. Or Martha, one of them, come running out. He's dead. I know if you'd have been here that you could have healed him. And it says that Jesus wept. But one, one version of it says that not only did he weep, but he cried. Like, in, like he showed so much emotion that the mourners that were in the house came outside to see what was going on. And so Jesus said, take me to where he's buried. And they take him to where he's buried, and they just think Jesus is going to mourn and Jesus is going to cry. And he did. He showed that emotion. It's okay to show that emotion. Now, we know he also told them, roll that stone away. And they're like, but he's been dead four days. He stinks. He's like, get it out the way. They move it out the way. And he prays and says, God, I know you're going to do this. And then he just yells into the tomb, hey, Lazarus, come on out here. And it says Lazarus got up, hobbled out because he still had the grave clothes on. It says he couldn't move freely. He come out, and they unwrapped him, and he wasn't half of a corpse. He wasn't stinking. He was just sleeping is what Jesus told him. He was waiting for him to come. But see, Jesus wasn't moved by the outside situations and circumstances. And he saw that situation differently than they did because he knew the outcome. But that's why we have to be intentional about our our focus on God. Our emotions are okay. Showing your emotion, we were taught for so long that showing your emotion is a sign of weakness. Emotion is not a sign of weakness. You need to cry, cry. Let it all out. You want to be angry and be mad? Do it. Do it in a healthy and safe way. You want your feelings to be hurt? Do it. But don't let yourself give over to your emotions. Don't let yourself be ruled and governed by your emotions. Don't let your decisions be made out of your emotions. See, Jesus knew what he was going to do the whole time. He knew he was going to go and tell Lazarus to come on out and that God was going to perform a miracle. So that's what he did. He wasn't moved by the fact that they were crying because he was dead. He already knew what was going to happen. But he showed his emotion, and that's okay. We're humans. God gave us emotions for a reason. Just don't be ruled by your emotions. Don't let your emotions make those decisions for you. We focus on God. We cannot be passive when it comes to our relationship with God because the devil will run all over us. God will never cause us to see ourselves differently than he's already spoken about in his word. And my absolute favorite scripture to prove this is Psalms 139, 14, and I'm reading it in the New King James Version. It says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. I learned this scripture at a very, 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 very young age because people are ugly. People are rude. That old saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Sticks and stones do break your bones, and they are hard. But I would rather have a broken bone than have to deal with a broken heart. 
I'd rather have a broken bone than have to deal with people saying not nice things about me. But when I look at what the Bible says about me, what God says about me, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When I look in, when I'm trying to figure out who I am in this world and what I have, I look in that mirror of the Bible and I say, you know what? God, you said that I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I, Kelsey Melton, am fearfully and wonderfully made. And marvelous are your works, God, and that my soul knows very well. We have to remind our soul. See, we have a spirit, or we are a spirit. We live in a body, and we have a soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Those three things operate together to formulate our everyday life. Our spirit is perfect. Our spirit is always in right standing with God because our spirit is from God, and our spirit has the Holy Spirit living inside of it. Our body just kind of goes in between our soul and our spirit, whichever one has the, the biggest tug. And our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, we have to remind those things because they, that's, where, that's where when we're on the fast like this and you want those burgers, talking about that meat earlier, and giving yourself a hunger pain, that's when we have to remind our soul, no, you don't rule me. You're not in control of this equation. I'm following my spirit. And we got to make our soul. We got to remind our soul, no, I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I can be who God says I can be. Greater is he, meaning God and meaning the Holy Spirit, that is in me than he that is in the world. Because the devil is a liar. He's a manipulator. He's a thought twister. He will take the truth and twist it up so much that it perverts it in your mind to think something totally different than what it was ever intended to do. But when we remember and we remind our soul and we remind our body who's in control, then we will see ourselves with the eyes that God has given us to see. We will see ourselves with the Spirit of God. What do we teach our children about bullies? What do we learn as children about bullies? Do we just lay down and let a bully bully us? We teach them to stand up, don't we? We teach them to stand up for themselves. We don't teach them to lay down and take it. We teach them to fight back. That doesn't always mean physically with their fists, obviously. Sometimes fighting back is go tell your teacher. Sometimes fighting back is put a little pedal to the metal. But we teach our children and we teach, we've been taught that we stand up for ourselves. Then why do we lay down and let the enemy do whatever he wants to do to us? If we teach our children to stand up against bullies, the devil is the biggest bully there is. James 4 verse 7 in the Passion Translation says this. Is it in there? Okay, it may not be. It says this. So then surrender to God, stand up to the devil, and resist him, and he will flee in agony. It doesn't just say he will go. It says he will, he will flee in agony, in pain, because we'll whoop up on him. I'm going to close with this. If we teach our children to stand up against their enemy, we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to remind ourselves that it's time for us to stand up against the enemy that's, that's confronting our life. It's beyond time for us to stand against the lies and the accusations and the frustrations of the enemy that comes against us. This morning, it's time for some of you to fight for yourself. Fight for that peace of mind. Fight for your emotions. Fight for your finances. Fight for your family. Fight for your future. Stop letting that puny little devil cause you pain and torment. The Bible tells us that once we get to heaven and everything is said and done, that we will look back on the one who tormented us and say, that was him? That little thing caused all the chaos and turmoil in the world. That thing right there. 
All we need is the faith the size of what? A mustard seed. If a faith, our faith the size of a mustard seed can send the devil running. Think about that, how small a mustard seed is. It's about the size of a pinhead, maybe a little bigger. But we let the devil beat us up when that is all it takes to defeat him. He's actually already been defeated, and he knows that. He's just running on borrowed time. And see, what he's after is your inheritance. See, he thinks he can outsmart you and get you out of your right standing with God to get you to spend eternity with him in punishment because he can't have what you have. He's never allowed to go back into the presence of God again in heaven. He's never allowed to be in, held in the high position that he was held in once when he was created. He will never have God's full undivided attention. Do you think God's worried about what the devil's doing? He's already defeated him. And he knows his time is, is ticking. So why do we get so worried and let ourselves get so bogged down with the things of this world and the destruction that the devil tries to bring our way. It don't mean we don't live through it because we have to live through the, our con the consequences of our actions and unfortunately we have to live through the consequences of other people's actions. And it's not fair. It's not fair. And it's not right. But you know what? God understands. See, also, in the book of John, <laughs> was the story of the woman that was called in the act of adultery. And back then, the punishment for that was stoning to death. And they, it says that they caught her in the act, and they drug her out in the middle of town. They didn't do nothing to that man. But they sure did drag her out, and I can guarantee you if she was caught... In the act of adultery, that means she probably was unclothed or had very little clothed on. They didn't care about her decency. And they brought her and paraded her out there in front of everybody and brought her to Jesus to try to trap him in a situation and say, what are we supposed to do? We caught her in the act of adultery. The, the, the rule is that we su we're supposed to stone her to death. Jesus didn't pay them no mind. Scripture says he bent down in the ground and started writing something in the ground. And they didn't like that too well, so they repeated themselves to him. And he says, basically, whichever one of you has never had an improper or an unclean thought, cast the first stone. Pick it up and throw it at her. Go ahead. And it says that they left one by one over time because Jesus just bent down and kept writing in the sand. Does it say what he wrote in the sand? But he just, to me, I'm like, he was so unbothered by their opinion that he just, he could have been doodling for all we know. And it said they left one by one from the oldest to the youngest. They left. And then he looked at her and he said, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And he says, then go and sin no more. And he let her live. And he let her go. I can guarantee you her life was changed that day. I can guarantee you her vision and her view of her life and herself was forever altered that day. I can guarantee you that when people come against you and circumstances happen in your life and everybody tells you you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of what's going on in your home. How could something like this happen? How could you do something like this? Let the one without the first sin, not even the first sin, the first un, that's never had an impure or unclean thought. And then look where are your accusers. Because the devil... He ain't it. He ain't it. He's a liar. The truth is nowhere in him. 
We have to resist the culture of this world, and we have to fight like heaven. And I don't just say that to replace the other word. We got to fight like heaven. Heaven fights from a place of victory. Heaven fights from a place of finality that it's over. It is finished. When Jesus said it is done, then it's done. Everything that we have need of and everything that we have want of, it was completed at the cross. We have access to God 24-7, 365. He takes no holidays. He doesn't even clock off for the night to take some sleep. And he is a good God, and he does not cause bad things to happen to his people. He is a loving father. He will go above and beyond for you every single time. Now, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, walking through the frustration and frustrating seasons of your life is hard. It is hard. But you cannot lose hope, and you cannot lose sight on who does God say that I am. In those moments when you feel like everything is going to poop, who does God say that I am? My Bible tells me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is God than any of these circumstances and situations and problems that I'm going. So when I say that the inner me is my enemy, those negative thoughts that we think of ourselves, those negative problems, every single lie that the enemy tells us and tells you when you're alone in your house that you're not safe. Nobody wants you. Everybody's out to get you. You'll never amount to anything in your life. You're done. Nobody's going to want you. You're going to die. You're sick. Your body's going to fail you. Those are lies. Lies, lies, lies. Which means that the opposite of them is true. Which means that we are healed. We are whole. We are sound. We're delivered from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Because of who is on the inside of us. That veil of the way that things used to be is ripped off. It's gone. We don't have to focus on that anymore. Embrace the Holy Spirit in your life. Embrace who he is to you. Because if you choose to live a life without the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you and directing you, you will fall into depression. You will fall into anxiety. You will fall into suicidal ideation. You will fall into the things of the flesh and the things of the world because you're not spirit-led. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and knowledge and understanding to escape the pitfalls of the enemy. And when we do fall in him, he gives us the grace and the strength and the, and the empowerment to get out of the situation, to propel ourselves forward. It's God's dunamis, miracle-working power living on the inside of us, causing us to live and breathe. If they tell you your heart's not working right, what you going to do? You're going to change your life, aren't you? If they tell, so look at your spiritual heart. Look at your life and see, am I fighting the, the fight inside of myself? Am I allowing the devil to speak those negative thoughts in me? Am I allowing my flesh, my soul, my body to dictate who I think that God is in my life? Am I allowing just a little, a little feeling of love or, or affection or attention distract me from my eternal purpose and distract me from who God says that I am? Am I letting fleeting thoughts in, encourage me and puff me up and make me think that I'm supposed to do this? when I know, I know the truth and I know what God says about me and I know what I'm supposed to do. You can't be ruled by that. You gotta be ruled by the Holy Spirit. You have to make true room for him in your life and not just, like I said earlier, not just, oh yeah, I believe in the Holy Spirit to do this, this and that. No, you have to believe in the whole person of the Holy Spirit, what he came to do and what he's going to do in order for that empowerment to be alive and recognized in your life. People live their whole lives and go to hell or go to heaven, not ever believing in the Holy Spirit, and that's okay. It's not a, it's not a prerequisite for salvation. So they can do that. They don't have to embrace the Holy Spirit. It's not a sin. But your life will be totally different. The scripture told us that freedom is found wherever you embrace the Holy Spirit. Not that you're sinning, but that you will never live your life to the fullest and never have that fuller revelation if you don't believe in all, the whole part of who the Holy Spirit is. And then what changes when that inner me becomes my enemy, when we get empowered and we let the Holy Spirit do the work on the inside of us that he is supposed to do, then the enemy becomes the devil's enemy. 
I'm transfigured and transformed from water into wine. I'm transformed into who God says that I am. I can do everything that God says I can do. I'm transformed into that person. And that means that who I am, who God has created me to be, is the devil's enemy. And that's why he fights us. Don't let him win. Don't let him beat you up. You tell him to shut his mouth. That he is the father of lies and the truth is not in him. Every time you have a negative thought, the Bible tells you to hold those thoughts captive. And you tell yourself, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. I have to tell myself that. I'll have whole conversations in my head spiraling out of control over situations that happen and things I can't change that were two years ago that just keep on going. I, I could have said this, and then what would they have said? It don't matter. That's a pitfall of the enemy to try to distract me from my purpose. I can't change that. But what I can do is learn from it and move on change myself and change my heart get myself in alignment with who God says I am viewing myself through the through the mirror through who he says that I am so I can see clear and when that mirror starts to get foggy it starts to get bundled bundled up by what the world says then I need to get back in the word I need to get back in my prayer closet and I need to spend time with him and say okay God who am I it's okay to say God remind me who I am Remind me who you've called me to be. I told my boys last night when, I, when we were putting them to bed, when we did the, the bedtime blessing, I said, I will never stop fighting for you. I will never stop fighting hell for your spirit and your soul. I will never stop fighting for you. Because as your mother, that is my job and is my duty and my responsibility to never stop fighting for you. But that's how God feels about us. He is never going to stop fighting for us. He is going to move everything that he can move to get to you to be able to, for you to hear how much he loves you. How much that he desires a relationship with you. How beautiful he thinks that you are. How wonderful he thinks that you are. Don't let the devil lie to you any longer. Let this morning be it. Know who you are. Know who God created you to be. And don't settle for less than that. Don't settle for just because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Don't settle for that. Don't let that hurt dictate your life. Let God lead you. Let him guide you. Let him transform you more and more into who he wants you to be, who he created you to be. Because he created you to love him, but he also created you to be loved by him. When we get that revelation that we are loved by God, he calls us beloved. It's the best feeling in the world. But don't let the devil distract you any longer. Don't let him torment you. Resist him and he will flee in agony. Remember that this week. He will flee in agony with his tail tucked between his legs, running because he's, he's defeated. Let God beat him up. Jesus already did that when he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave anyway. But he's got to be reminded of that too. He knows his time is short, and that's why he's pulling out all the stops. The things that are going on in our country are not new. They're just becoming more publicized and more frequent. And it's a scary thing sometimes to live in this world. It's a scary thing sometimes to have to worry about your friends and your family and it seems like it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer to home no matter where you live closer and closer to home we are not promised tomorrow we're not promised the next breath of our body but the flip side of that is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord so we have to keep our heart right we got to keep our mind stayed on him. we got to stay strong in the faith, strong in who God says that we are and who he created us to be and who he is to empower us to be able to stand strong against the attacks of the enemy. That's why our young people are dying every day because of drugs, because they want to feel something. 
feel something other than the pain or they some of them just don't want to feel they've been through so much but what they don't know is that their solution is already on the inside of them it's just waiting to be unlocked it's just waiting to be open and that's our job as the body of Christ as believers is to pray for them is to fast for them but also to be a light and a reminder to them that hey your life may suck for lack of better words, you may be dealt the worst hand and that was never God's intention for your life to be terrible. It was never your intention or God's intention for your life to be rough. It was never God's intention for you to have to go through the things that you went through. But unfortunately, we live in a world that is ruled by sin. We are spirit beings lived in a world ruled by sin. I was actually talking on the bus the other day with Rodney and he was saying, talking. he was been doing a study about Abraham and Noah. And we were out to talking. It was his birthday, actually. It was Rodney's birthday. And he was talking about how, you know, they lived four or five. You know, Methuselah was like 900 years old when he died. I said, man, could you, that's a lot of life to live. Like, I'm 33, and I feel like I've lived a long time. Like, all the, when I look back and think about all the things that I've, that I've done that's happened in my life. I couldn't imagine living to be five, six hundred years old and they were still begotten children is what Rodney said. They were still having babies at that age. I could not imagine that. I'm 33 and I'm like, do I really want to try to have another baby? Probably not. I'm too old. I feel like I'm too old. But they were convinced on who God was. But that, but now the reason why we don't live as long is because sin has entered the world and ruled so much that it eats away at our body. Our bodies were not created to handle sin like that. Our bodies were not created to be in that type of environment. That's why we have to stay ready and stand on guard and resist the devil and speak health and wisdom and life over yourself. Because sometimes there ain't nobody else around to do it for you. Sometimes you have to do it for yourself. Speak it over yourself. Speak it over your family. Speak it over your children and your children's children. So God, we just worship you and we thank you for this morning, God. I thank you that you are continuing to change who we are and who we see ourselves to be, God. I thank you that you are transforming us, God, from water into wine. And I thank you, Lord, that as we continue to push forward into who you've called us to be, that, God, you give us a deeper revelation of your love. You give us a deeper revelation of your power. You give us a deeper revelation of every single thing that you are, God. You are a father. You love us. You give us good gifts. You give us good things. You are not, you are not going to give us anything bad. But when the devil attacks us, you are right there. You're ready. You stay ready, God. And you're ready and willing to fight on our behalf. You're always fighting on our behalf. You're our biggest advocate. I thank you for revealing that to us. Holy Spirit, breathe new life into each one of us this morning. Breathe on us every single day. God, I thank you that those that are wrestling with things, God, I thank you that they can't even go to sleep tonight without giving it to you. That they hear your voice, God, and none other will they follow. You are a good shepherd. We will not be deceived by the wolves of this world but in sheep's clothing. But we will find your voice because we will follow who you are, our true, one true shepherd. Not what everybody else says about us. Not what everybody else thinks about us. God, that we will find out who you say we are. Holy Spirit, be that great illuminator on the inside of each and every person here today, God. Reveal yourself to them more and more and more and give them a passion, a fiery burning passion to seek after you, God. To seek that deep relationship with you. God, I thank you for who you are. Not just what you do, but I thank you for that too. as we go this week, God, that you give us, give us all the strength, God. Bring this, this sermon back to our remembrance. Bring your words, bring the prophecies that have been prophesied over us back to our remembrance, God. 
And I thank you that each and every person in here will accomplish what you've called them to accomplish. And even when it seems like the all hell is breaking out in their life and in their home, God, I thank you for you being the peace that surpasses all understanding. When their mind is overwhelmed and flooded with turmoil and questions, God, that your voice screams louder on the inside of them and quiets every single lie of the enemy. That Zephaniah 3.17 that says you rejoice over us with singing and you quiet us with your love. That your love would just radiate all over us, God, and calm every nerve and calm every cell, every, every thought, every condemnation, every frustration, every fear. It has to go in Jesus' name. We take our authority back this morning. Thank you, Lord. We honor you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.